you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for the Judge Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, a rate shock hits stocks. The market's under a lot of pressure as yields rally on stronger-than-expected jobs data and some hawkish Fed speak. So is this a major moment of truth for investors? And will rising rates, could they wreck this rally? Our investment committee is standing by to tackle that key question. Joining us for this hour, we got downtown Josh Brown, Joe Terranova, Amy Raskin, and Surat Sethi. But first, let's get a check on the markets. Right now, we're seeing a down day on Wall Street. All three indices down at least 1%. The NASDAQ and the Dow both down about one and one-third percent. We're also looking at bond yields right now. Certainly something to watch. Really the story of today. We're looking at the 10-year yield back above 4% right now. you got to remember, just before SVB, that was the last time we were at this level. And actually, since the last rate hike, we've seen yields move on the 10-year, about 30 basis points. Also important to know, look at the two-year. Uh, the yield's there at a 16-year high right now, something we're watching. We're also looking at financials, looking at the, uh, the financial sector down today, hard hit. Also, the regional banks hard hit right now. Uh, something we're going to continue to watch and talk a lot about. Regional banks down more than 2.5%. I think that's a really great place to start. Josh Brown, I'm going to toss things out to you out there at the Josh Cave. What do you make of the sell-off that we're seeing so far? Obviously, rates the big story. Look, you're, you're at a two-year treasury now at 5.06%. Um, that was the peak, which we hit in March. Ever since that faded, and obviously that fading coincided with the banking crisis, um, that was that was your peak. Now you're back there today, but with a very different backdrop than we had in March. The recession calls all over Wall Street in January, February, March were fresh in all of our heads. So when you saw uh, yields fading, when you saw bonds rally, it made a lot of sense because you said to yourself, all right, we're probably we've probably already seen the peak for this cycle and it's only a matter of time now before the economy gets bad enough that the Fed is going to have to start contemplating cuts and in fact there were a lot of expectations back in March for cuts in the second half of this year today is a very different picture today we're seeing yields rise uh, and and you know this idea that there's going to be a cut at some point in the second half of this year is non-existent uh, in the data. So I think it, it partially explains why we've seen the leadership that we've seen in industrials. People look at PMIs month after month. The manufacturing part of the economy is slowing, and yet these stocks are defying gravity. And if you were looking at both of those things, you would say, this is wholly incongruous. It makes no sense. Why are industrials the leading sector this year, ex-tech, when you've just got terrible data uh, coming in. And this is the reason why, which is that there is a growing sense that so long as the employment picture remains strong and so long as the consumer continues to consume, by the way, half the jobs added in this ADP survey were leisure and hospitality, which is the consumer writ large, then maybe it's possible the manufacturing slump doesn't spiral down into a full-blown recession. And at some point, 
we see the data in those surveys, those components of the economic picture start to improve. So it's maybe premature to say that that is what's going to happen. But you're starting to hear more and more people think that the manufacturing part of the economy is going to catch up to the consumer-driven part rather than the consumer-driven part catch down to what we've seen in, in, in that space. So we'll see what happens, but that seems to be the sentiment today. Yeah, I mean, certainly, Josh, I think you hit on a, a couple crucial points. Amy, I'm going to come over to you. Um, not only is there no sign of cuts, I think they've been pretty much taken off the table based on those minutes yesterday. And as a matter of fact, the majority of the FOMC actually favoring two hikes. Right. So the cuts are out till at least the end of 2024 um, based on expectations. So I think Josh is right. I mean, we're seeing a rise in rates. You know, in my opinion, that makes equities less attractive. Two-year real rates are high, higher than they've been since the global financial crisis. Um, so I do think that has to reverberate back to the equity market, which we're seeing somewhat today, but we haven't really seen at all. Um, I, and I do think more and more investors are pricing in a soft landing. I don't think that's going to end up being right, but you're seeing it. You know, the city economic surprise index turn negative for the first time in June. That means people are getting, you know, their expectations are more optimistic than they have been. Um, so the more and more you get this soft landing priced in, you are going to see these rate hikes go up. Um, and if you're sort of seeing the markets try to defy gravity, but at some point they'll probably be brought down. So, Sarah, are you seeing the same optimism? I'm just going to point to the VIX for a minute. Closed at 14 yesterday, above 17 today. We're seeing a pretty big sell-off. Uh, small caps, the Russell hit harder than the, the other three indices. Are you seeing any optimism out there that there, there can, can be a continuation of this rally somehow, somewhere? No, I think, I mean, what Josh was hitting on was we need the data to keep on being positive for the consumer. And if we see the consumer pulling back, which we haven't yet, because you've seen travel, leisure, all that really so doing well. Good jobs report. Is that data? That, that's a good report. But that puts the Fed in the crosshairs right. because they have to raise rates. So, so essentially, I think the way to, to kind of look at this to say is you have to be very careful as to what equities you're going to own because high valuations and high interest rates just don't go together. Right. So really, you got to parse through what you own and also understand that there is an opportunity to be in other assets. Fixed income gets a lot better when the two years at 5%. You can actually hold bonds for three to five years getting a six handle on it, which will give you a lot more downside, especially if you're closer to a certain age of retirement right. or your objectives are changing. You know, it was interesting earlier this year, we saw bond yield spike, but equities also rallied as well. So it's very interesting. Joe Terranova, I'm going to come over to you. Sarat mentioned something, valuation. We talked about it when you were here yesterday. We're seeing rates rise again. Is that also uh, kind of constructs your uh, opinion on the valuation of some of these mega cap tech names that we've seen run up? It's interesting, Frank, because when I think about mega caps and technology and uh, growth strategy, that's exactly where I want to be if markets are going to correct further. I don't see anything in the composition of the way the market is trading today that would suggest you want to change that strategy. Uh, it's, it's not as if you're seeing value or the equal weighted index make a return where it's outperforming. No, it's struggling once again relative to technology growth and mega cap. So if you've missed you know, the, the chip trade, if you missed the generative AI trade, if you've missed returning to growth once again, what's going on right now with yields acting as a catalyst to impede the progress of the equity rally that we've seen so far year to date and potentially initiate some form of a correction 
it's actually a welcome opportunity for those that have missed the first half of the year, that trade. And I think that's the way you have to think about it. Uh, collectively, overall, you cannot expect to see a rise in a two-year yield of nearly 140 basis points over the course of 60 days and not expect that to impact equities overall. It's going to. I think it's something that the Federal Reserve needs to give consideration towards because it is going to further stress the balance sheets of regional banks. That's unquestioned, and it's going to continue to constrict lending and lending standards, and that is going to be problematic as we move in the second half of the year. So it's growth, it's technology, it's mega caps. Yeah, you know, KRE down 2.5%. I want to pull on the thread of what you were just saying before. I'm looking at the SMH, the chip ETF, the WCLD, the cloud computing ETF. Are you saying this is a buying opportunity right now? Are you concerned that tomorrow they can move another leg lower if we see a jobs report that's either in line or, or hotter than expected? Frank, I'm not going to make a prediction on whether you should be buying in the next 24 hours. What I'm suggesting is these are the areas of the market in which you've had strength so far year to date. And history generally suggests that when you reach the midway point, the areas of the market where you've seen the strength they tend to maintain that strength through the remainder of the year. So a lot of people have missed the chip trade. They've missed the mega cap trade. They've missed the technology trade. And if you get a further correction with rising yields as the catalyst, those are the areas of the markets that I want to add to positioning. All right. I want to switch gears a bit. Let's bring in senior economics reporter Steve Leisman. Steve, some Fed speak today, some very hawkish Fed speak, in fact. Yeah, and I want to add what uh, Lori Logan from the Dallas Fed and John Williams uh, both said yesterday. And I think a big part of it is that both Williams and Logan are two people who you would expect to be very acutely attuned to what's going on in the banking sector. And neither seems particularly worried about it. There were essentially three things that might have stayed the Fed's hand when it came to raising rates so much. One was the... Um, uh, lagged effects of monetary policy. Logan dismissed those. The second was trouble in the banking sector. Logan has dismissed that. The third was the idea of the Treasury rebuilding its account by a trillion dollars and maybe taking some money and, and tightening up liquidity. Logan dismissed that, said none of that is really happening. She thinks we've sort of seen the lagged effects of tightening so far. And so her comment is we need to be raising rates. She would have raised them back in June, said, OK, I'm OK pausing here, but I want to raise them again. And probably again. And what's happening today, guys, is this realization, I think, Williams yesterday, Logan today, the minutes yesterday as well, the strong ADP report, the strong ISM report, all of that saying, hey, you know what? Not only is the first rate hike on, which is the one coming in July, but the second one as well. There's the data we're talking about there. Jobless claims up, but not a whole lot. ISM services beating expectations. There's the non-farm payroll numbers. You have to worry, is that too light relative to what might actually happen? And now if you go to the next chart and you look at the um, uh, uh, probabilities, well done, guys, in the back there. 89% probability of a hike in July and a 29% probability of a second hike in September. That's up quite a if where it was yesterday, and the November one is up 10 points from where it was yesterday. So beginning to bake in not only the two-year yield, but along with the rise in the two-year yield above 5% is this idea that the Fed is going to be doing more. So is that expectation that we're going to see a hike next meeting, then a, a skip, a pause, whatever you want to call it, and then another hike at that next meeting? 
Skip to my loo, my darling. That's probably that's the Fed's operating uh, um, uh, mo right now. That's that's what they're doing. Is they they seem to be on an every other meeting basis. With some possibility, inflation comes down. There is a play here that maybe the Fed doesn't go quite as far. But there's another part of the risk here, which is remember there are some Fed members that have 75 basis points of additional hikes built in. They like that six percent range or even a little bit higher than that. So you have a two-sided risk here, and uh, you know you play your market at your own risk here, but don't forget the Fed here. The Fed is doing what it said it's going to do, um, and I think the market has been like the Fed throughout this, and I don't know the extent to which it's cost you to be like the Fed. It cost you yesterday. All right, we're not going to fight the Fed. In fact, we're going to be sitting tight tomorrow for your exclusive interview with Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby. That's tomorrow at 1130 right here on CNBC. After that jobs report, it'll be interesting what he has to say. This is one of the newer Fed members, Steve. I know a lot of people are waiting to hear what he has to say in response to that jobs report. Steve Leisman, thank you very much. All right, let's get to our call of the day now on Microsoft. Named top large cap at Morgan Stanley. Target raised to $415. The firm calls for it to be the next $3 trillion market cap. Surat got a similar call earlier this week from uh, Dan Ives of Wedbush. Second time we're hearing this in a week. Look, it's a great company. They are firing at all cylinders. They've done everything right in terms of cloud and, uh, and getting into AI. Uh, we own it. We're, we're underweight, quote, the index on it. I, I like the company, but I wouldn't add to it at these levels. I think you get a better opportunity. It, it's one of these stocks that everybody's fallen in love with again. So just, you know, pick your spot. You want to own this for a long time, but I do think your market's going to come back to you on this one. Any concerns about valuation, Amy? Um, yeah, it's just the stock's trading at 35 times. It's a richly valued company, especially compared to its overall growth rate. I mean, if you want to just take out cloud, that's growing fast. But the overall, the company's not growing that fast. And I think a lot of AI hype has been pulled forward into the valuation already. So I, I agree with Sarah. All right, Joe, you on this one, too. Price target of 415, big upside from where it's trading right now at 340. Yeah, it'll get there. It's just a matter of when. Um, I don't think any of us are smart enough to know the exact moment. I think it's becoming very similar to Apple, where it's a stock that you don't want to trade it. You want to own it. And that's the type of company that it is as it approaches $3 trillion. Tell me what's not to like about the fundamental characteristics of this company. Tell me what's not to like about the market share that this company has. Uh, a tremendous amount of free cash flow. And as I mentioned yesterday, if we want the innovation of generative AI to advance, we want the financially strongest companies spending on the innovation. Microsoft, one of those with $60 billion in free cash flow. Josh, any thoughts about this? I think the most striking part of the call is how wide the, uh, the expectations are. So if you, if you kind of read into what they're saying here, Microsoft has this massive installed base of application users. Let's just take Office 365 um, as like just one of many opportunities. Uh, if you think about the addition of AI tools that can be charged for into a product like that and everything else that they do, um, and then you try to like extrapolate that out across the breadth of Microsoft's business, here's the analyst. He's saying, we run scenario analyses against what we see as the largest potential opportunities these sum to a potential fiscal year 2025 applications opportunity for Microsoft of bear case, $6 billion, base case, $19 billion, bull case, $56 billion. <laughs> There's a lot of room between 6 and 56. We don't know which end this will, will come closer to, 
But I guess if you're if you're long here, you probably think it looks more like 56, uh, and and maybe right. that's how you back into getting comfortable with the elevated valuation. You seem really comfortable with it. The tightness in the labor market does that all make you more bullish on this stock? Because I think another part of this note is they're saying that AI is going to significantly expand the scope of business processes to be automated by software. Um, AI has a chance to just completely transform automation. Is that also another factor in you being so bullish on this call? So uh, I'm a business owner. I have uh, 61 employees, and I'm not looking for opportunities to replace them. I'm trying to augment the work that they're already doing. We are getting pitched twice a week with different AI solutions. Some of them are startups that have barely gotten any funding yet, and some of them are existing software providers, large ones, publicly traded ones, where they are layering on AI into what we're already paying for and showing us ways to streamline workflows, et cetera. So I'm not just bullish on the stocks. I'm bullish on the opportunity and what it could mean for all of the small businesses, all of the mid-sized businesses, large enterprises all over the country, we're all about to get a lot better at the stuff that we're already doing for our customers, our clients. And so I think it's just more of a general bullishness on, on this era that we're entering into and not a specific bullishness on the next 10 points in Microsoft. All right. Sticking with tech, don't miss a CNBC exclusive interview with Amazon CEO Andy Jassy. He's sitting down with our John Ford today. That's at 4 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to catch it live on Closing Bell Overtime. I'm going to come back over to you, Josh. We're going to go to a committee move. Speaking of big tech, you actually just sold Oracle. Give us a sense of why you decided to trim your position there. Um, I had bought it anticipating a technical breakout, which uh, happened. The stock made an explosive move from the high 80s, low 90s, up to about 120. I did not sell the top, um, but I'm comfortable with where I got out of it. I think it's a great company. I don't see any reason why Oracle can't work its way higher. The problem is I have other positions in my own portfolio that have almost doubled this year. Um, And so in order to keep holding onto those, you have to take risk off somewhere else. So it's not a a negative Oracle call or anything like that. Um, But, uh, you know, I have a, a double this year in Shake Shack, almost a double in Uber. You can't maintain full positions in stocks that have gone up 100% if you're not de-risking somewhere. So Oracle it is. All right, Sarah, you also trimmed your position in Oracle. A lot of people see it as a, a cheaper cloud play right now, trading at 21 times forward earnings. What made you make the, a very similar decision to Josh? Look, they're executing on all cylinders. We bought the stock when it was 11 times earnings. So right. earnings haven't increased that much, but the multiple has expanded just like it has in so many of these tech stocks. So just really taking some profits, doing some diversification, risk management. Great company. They just have to execute. What I don't want to be doing is owning certain stocks and not taking profits when the execution is still to be seen, although they've done a great job and they are increasing cloud. And it's where is the incremental margin going to come? It's pretty competitive space. I like the company. I still have a position in it. I just took some profits at the table. The thought that they're, you know, they they build themselves now as the cloud provider for AI, that wasn't enough to keep you in here just to see where this is all going? Look, we all know when the the bloom comes off the rose, these stocks come back to earth. And, you know, 22 is not expensive. I mean, you've got some of these stocks in 30, 40, 50 times. But you just have to rationalize what you're buying and kind of put yourself and say, hey, am I getting into thesis creep because I just want to be part of the hype or do I actually want to look for opportunities elsewhere? All right, we're going to switch gears right now. We're going to talk financials and banks. Joe, you're flagging the move in the regionals today on the back of this yield spike. 
I think you have to talk about financials. You have to talk about the regional banks, and you have to understand where positioning was at the beginning of the year, the excitement, the enthusiasm surrounding it. But yet, when you look at the actual technicals of whether it's the regional banks or, or the, the bank money center banks themselves, in each instance, they're in a clear downtrend since August of last year. So there, there's fundamental conditions that are hamstringing the ability for these companies to work in the capacity that money managers expected. Now you're introducing, once again, yields at very high levels. That's going to create a difficult environment, in particular for the regional banks. And I just don't know, going back to you know, your opening question to me regarding how you think about the valuation of technology and mega caps, where does the excitement come from? Where does the investment capital come from to go into financials, to go into these regional banks? It almost seems as if 2023 is going to be a year where I don't know if I want to call them a value trap, but they're a position trap. They're just not going to give you the, the outperformance that you expected. And I think you're waiting as the year progresses to see if there's an evolution where once again we're back into a stressful environment, in particular for the regional banks, and we're talking about further consolidation. I don't know that we're past that point just yet. And I think as you move towards the end of the year, that's a conversation that we're going to be having again. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are talking about bank consolidation, perhaps the need for it. I think the U.S. is the most banked country in the world. Amy, you're, you're smiling as yeah. I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with Joe. I, I think it's hard to see. I mean, the stocks are getting cheaper. And from a long-term perspective, this might be a great entry point. But it's hard to see the catalyst in the short term that makes them turn around at, at, at this point. All right, good yeah. point. I All mean, right, other, than J, other than J.P. Moore. Other than J.P. Morgan, Frank, who's a clear winner in this or right. maybe a super regional, it's hard to identify where the opportunity really is in banking institutions. Well, I, I would I mean, Morgan Stanley's another one. It's a different beast. I mean, their wealth management. If you look at kind of trough, M&A, you know, capital markets activity, they just Cap raised their dividend. capital markets. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, a different beast, but it gets thrown in I, with all these other stocks, too. So I, I agree, J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, two of the ones I like. I mean, you mentioned raising I the dividend. Quality, I think mean, quality. A lot of, Josh, really quick, a lot of banks raised a dividend on, just last week. Citigroup, PNC, Goldman Sachs, BNY Mellon. I mean, is, is that giving you more confidence to see the dividend well, well, if you look at Morgan Stanley, look at the percentage of their earnings that go towards their dividend is not as high as some of the others, and they also buy back shares. Okay. So. I think when you look at capital allocation and structure, they're one of the leaders in that space. All right, Josh, over to you. I think in the first half, quality was the right answer. Um, so I'm in, I'm in JP Morgan. Out of JP Morgan, City, Wells, and Bank of America, it is the outperformer, up 6% year to date. The only one negative, actually, is Bank of America, down about 15. Uh, but JP Morgan is the only one of those four that's currently above both its 50 and 200 day moving average. Um, over the last year, JP Morgan is trouncing the rest of the field. It's up 30%. Uh, the best of the others is up nine. So I think quality won in the first half. What wins in the second half, in my view, are the ones that are more geared toward the uh, rebound and capital markets activity. You're getting IPOs back. 
Um, you're getting deals back. You're getting a lot of things that we haven't had in a year to 18 months. And so Morgan Stanley wins in that situation. JP Morgan wins. Goldman's a little bit of an idiosyncratic situation um, because of all the businesses they're exiting and some of the talk about turmoil at the top. But like, that's kind of now where I, I think the puck is going. You want to focus on the banks with a Wall Street presence that are going to benefit as we get underwriting back. All right. Certainly a lot of IPOs coming up. Something to watch there. All right. Up next here on Halftime, mega debut for Meta's Threads. What it could mean for shareholders. The committee weighs in. Halftime back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. All right, welcome back to Halftime. We're watching shares of Meta hitting a 52-week high earlier today after the company launched its new Twitter, Twitter competitor, Threads. Josh, you own Meta. What's your take? Uh, I'm not currently long Meta, but I'm just blown away at how quickly they got adoption for this thing. And it started last night. I was one of the first, I think, 300,000 accounts on there. And I, from what I hear... They're already through 30 or 40 million users. When you consider that the user base is 2 billion, I guess it's not that surprising, but the speed here is just absolutely breathtaking. Um, I think that's a function of two things. The first is people are looking to have that old Twitter experience back from 2016, 17, 18, 19. They're not going to get it on existing Twitter. And so that's why you're seeing that play out with the speed with which this user base is growing. But the other startling thing, though, is that Facebook could have done this any time. Like, they could have done this really 10 years ago. It, it was ingenious to build this based on the Instagram social graph and just let people who are already there have a different app but bring over their friends, not have to start from zero with a new identity. They, I can't believe they could have done this all along and they haven't. Maybe the opportunity was, was created by all of the chaos on the existing uh, Bird app, the, the hell site uh, that is now. <laughs> and I just, I, it, was, it feels like I started on Twitter in March of 09. It feels like 2009, like everyone's excited. The, my phone is set on alerts. It's buzzing every second. Thousands of followers overnight. It's like it's really cool to see everybody back together again. Nobody's blocked. Nobody's haters are on there. The pseudonyms <laughs> haven't shown up yet. The Never crypto scam. So it's like a, it's a new era. It's a new era. So you're genuine. Uh, number one, let's yep. hope it's only like 2009 on social media, not the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, by the way, I said you own not long, but I do want to ask you're really excited about the experience. The experience is one thing and a lot of people are on there. They're enjoying it. But what about the actual impact to Meta? I'm just going to go back to when Twitter was a public company. Uh, it guided for 2023 revenue of seven and a half billion dollars. That was it. Meta's revenue estimate for this year, one hundred and twenty six billion dollars. Is this really a needle mover for Meta? 
I think it could be. I don't think it is in the first year, but that's not really terribly important. I think what is worth pointing out is that Elon Musk is not the reason why Twitter was never a good business. Twitter was never a good business because it didn't know anything about its users, and most of the content being generated was only coming from like 10% of the accounts, the power users, who were mostly famous athletes and journalists. What's different about using the Instagram social graph is that Threads already knows a hell of a lot about you, um, and they don't have to really do much to bring advertisers into that mix. Advertisers already trust that this company knows how to do this really well. So that's number one. But number two, I think it crushes the narrative of everybody's already on Facebook, there's no room for more user growth, everyone's already on Instagram. This is a whole new platform for advertisers, and I think it refreshes the meta growth story in a really important way. So um, in addition to that opportunity, I think just users having fun on a meta-owned platform again is a throwback. It's very retro. I'm all over there. I'm at Downtown Josh Brown, a.k.a. Thread Your Denny, <laughs> a.k.a. Threaty Mercury. I'm just I'm having a really great time, and I think when people... Uh, try this, they will too, and that's going to be a narrative shift for Meta's growth opportunities. Stock's now 37 PE, which is above its 5 and 10 year median. It's not a cheap stock anymore. It's up 230% off its low, but that narrative refresh, I think, can support the current level in, okay. in the share price. Uh, hard act to follow, Sarah. I'm going to come over to you. We First, we need an AKA, and then we need your take on Meta and this Threads launch. I think I'll, I'll leave that one to Josh. Look, we've owned Meta for I a while. I got an AKA for Surat. I'm oh, calling boy. him Thread Zeppelin. <laughs> um, I mean, Josh is absolutely right, right? What they've done is turn the ship around, taking the focus away from the metaverse to a growth, potential growth. Now, we don't know where it's going to go. But it's going to be something that could be profitable as opposed to something that you're throwing billions of dollars at. And that's what the market is looking for capital allocation. And, and all the stocks that are doing well this year, whether it be an Uber or the others, are looking at their allocation of capital, scarce resource, and how am I going to make money? Now, 37 times earnings, stock's not cheap anymore. We took some money off the table as well. These were all the, this was the dog of last year, right? When, when nobody wanted to touch it. Right. But you have to be careful again. Just just make sure that it's a it's a diversified portfolio and it's part of there. But I like it. I like what they're doing. You know, Instagram is turned around. They still haven't monetized WhatsApp. There is potential there, but it's pretty fairly valued at these levels. All right, Joe, I'm going to come over to you. You have no excuse. You should have an AKA. You've been sitting there for a minute. <laughs> On a serious note, we were talking about this yesterday. Um, does this at all change the narrative of the, the year of efficiency in your mind that while they're not dumping billions of dollars into the metaverse, they're not focusing on with their you know, core business, I suppose, of this year of efficiency by launching this? All right, so let me tell you why this is incredibly important to Meta, to Meta. Think about, forget for a second what the revenue contribution is going to be in the near term. Think about Apple. Think about Microsoft. What do we think about when we think about the management of those companies? We think about companies that we trust the management to always do the right thing. We trust management to bring forth the innovation and guide the company in the right direction. And in the case of Meta, they had lost that. They had lost that because they were focused on the metaverse. They then pivoted. They began to enact a lot of the Brad Gerstner principles, focusing on cost efficiency. 
Now they're introducing something, to Josh's point, that everyone is clamoring for. I gave up on Twitter years ago. I stopped tweeting years ago. The bots, the ability for one voice to take multiple identities, why would anyone want to be there? I'm on threads. Last night I went on. You could find me there. I'm excited about it. I don't know if we call it threading. I'm not sure exactly what you're going to be calling it. But we, we want the ability to communicate once again. And we want to be able to communicate in a respectful dialogue. And this is an opportunity that potentially Meta is providing for us. And while they're doing that, they're restoring confidence in management. When you're a mega cap technology company, that's so incredibly important. You don't want to lose it because when you lose it, you see what speculators do to your stock like they did to Meta in the prior 18 months. AK? I'll let Josh figure it out. <laughs> He's good at that. Amy, I'm going to let you off the hook. All right, time now for the headlines with Kate Rooney. Kate. Hey, Frank, the co-defendant in Donald Trump's classified documents case pleaded not guilty in a federal court today. Walt Nada faces six federal charges. He's accused of helping the former president hide top secret national security files from investigators after Trump left the White House. Today's arraignment comes after two previous court dates were postponed. Trump pleaded not guilty in June to the 37 felony counts against him in that case. New questions are emerging about the 25-year-old man found in Texas this week after reportedly going missing eight years ago. News came out over the weekend that Rudy Farias was located and safe in Houston after the years-long search, but at least one neighbor says he never left his mother's home. Police say investigators are meeting with the family to get to the bottom of what happened. And Honda is recalling more than 124,000 vehicles because there could be a problem with the brakes that might make them stop working. The Honda Civic, Ridgeline, Passport, Pilot, and Acura MDX models are listed in that recall. Most of the affected vehicles were manufactured between 2020 and 2023. Frank, back over to you. All right, Kate Rooney. Kate, thank you very much. Up next, our chart of the day, Disney under pressure again right now. Shares off 30% from recent highs, where the committee stands on the Disney trade. And we are all over today's sell-off. The Dow off its session lows, but all 30 stocks, they are holding in the red. Much more halftime right after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back to Halftime Report. Let's get to our chart of the day, Disney. Under pressure in today's sell-off as the company faces some serious box office blues. Let's get to our Julia Borstam with more. Julia. 
Frank, Disney shares are down nearly 2%, and the stock is now down over 9% over the past 12 months. And while its latest film, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, has grossed some $154 million in its first week of release, it is still falling short of high expectations. After the film reportedly cost nearly $300 million to produce, plus an estimated $100 million more to market. So now it appears that this year will be the first time since 2014 that Disney won't have a single movie that reaches $1 billion at the box office. Now, this stands in sharp contrast to 2022. Just last year, three of Disney's releases that year topped the key $1 billion mark, including Avatar, which opened 2022, finished that run in 2023. Now, still, Disney does have the largest market share of box office this year, an estimated 37% of industry revenues, followed by Universal with 31%, according to Variety. So we'll have to see how Disney's Haunted Mansion movie performs when it opens July 28th. But Disney CEO Bob Iger is likely evaluating how to approach Disney's big budget movie investments going forward. Frank? All right, Julia, thank you very much. Let's trade a little bit of Disney right now. Amy, I'm going to come over to you. What's your take on what we're seeing with Disney? What's your take on the stock um, and the company overall? We're talking the movie business, the legacy TV business, the parks business. Sure. Um, you know, when it rains, it pours. Um, we've trimmed Disney recently. I spoke about that when I was on the show a couple weeks ago with Joe. Um, I, look, I think the company has a lot of issues going forward. This, like, whole everybody can spend anything in media um, has hurt them. Um, it's been more competition for them. But I still think from a longer term perspective, Disney is a great franchise. Um, they have great content. And you heard Andy Jassy this morning say he's going to reevaluate his content strategy. I think that's really good news for Disney. You have to get some of these players coming out of the content business. You have to get more rational behavior in it. Um, so I think in the short term, we still have the Hulu issue ahead of us. Um, you know, parks might slow down if there's a recession coming. So I think there's still noise in the short term. Longer term, though, I, I like their company's positioning and the valuation has gotten much more reasonable. So, Rob, you also own Disney. Worried about their content recently, at least looking at some box office misses. We're talking Ant-Man, Little Mermaid, Elemental. And then Indiana Jones coming up. Not really sure how that's going to play yeah. out. Uh, yes, but longer term, you're, you're buying this for the global brand, the franchise, right? You look at Disney, you look at the sum of the parts, and there's some catalysts coming ahead. We know there's going to be new management there. We know there's probably going to be moving things around. We know we don't know what's going to happen with Hulu. But if you look at what they own and for generational kind of long term with Star Wars, a whole bunch of assets that they can have. And you're right. We do need consolidation and we need streamlining. And you're getting that. You're getting that as, as more people realize you're getting no value for any of your, your streaming. So is it a momentum stock? Absolutely not. Could it go right. for the next three, six months? You know. I think it's in the penalty box. It might be for a while, but I want to own this because I'm looking at three to five years, and okay. I'm not. I'm not. The clock's not going to ring when to buy it, right? So, when you look at a diversified portfolio and you've got the growthies, you got the metas and everything else doing well, you kind of couple this and add it in there as well. Right. So, if you're looking three to five years, Joe, I want to come over to you. I know you're more Netflix than Disney, but if we're looking out three to five years, are we concerned about the succession plan now? We have some box office flops. We have cuts at ESPN, and again, the legacy TV business. Uh, you know kind of coming up short a lot faster than a lot of people thought it would. Yeah, and you also have to consider where the leadership will, will be in three to five years. Um, they have challenges. They have challenges in terms of producing the type of content that is accessible on Netflix. I'm very surprised 
with the headcount reduction that we're seeing at ESPN. It's obviously very clear that there's no intention, and Bob Iger has said this, to spin off ESPN. I'm not necessarily sure that that's the right strategy. There's value to extract at ESPN, uh, and it seems as though management's going in a different direction where they're just trying to implement cost efficiency. So there's just this overwhelming amount of uh, headwinds for Disney. Um, From the perspective of a do you buy it in the low 80s, I'm not necessarily sure. And you have a clear alternative right now in Netflix. All right, straight ahead. This is time for a pause. J.P. Morgan downgrading one key part of the market. That trade coming up next on Halftime. Stay with us. We're back here on Halftime Materials. Under pressure again today, down a percent and a half. The sector down nearly 4% this week as well. J.P. Morgan out with a negative call in the sector saying it's time for a pause and upside is limited. The firm cutting Martin Marietta and Vulcan Materials to neutral from overweight. Surat, you own these names. What do you think about this call and just the general picture when it comes to these materials names, especially with so much uh, government infrastructure investment coming up? I mean, look, the Martin Marietta and Vulcan, we own both. They're up 25% for the year. So just make an evaluation call on that. Uh, I'm a little skeptical on the, on the call of materials. I think they're, they're getting really interesting for us uh, for a couple of things. One is, as you mentioned, the infrastructure spend. And secondly, as the dollar starts getting weaker, you want to own commodities. And, and that's what basic materials are, too. So there is some opportunity there. We're doing some work in there. But I, I do think it's probably too premature uh, on that to do. But, but I, I think there could be a good demand for this sector. So you mentioned the big run-up when it comes to Martin Marietta and Vulcan. Are you concerned that all the gains or all the uh, awards of contracts and things have already been priced into this stock? Because we, this infrastructure act that was passed back in November of 2021, I believe, we all knew this was coming. Right. And then we see a big rally in these names this year. Yeah, and I, and I think you also have two of the strongest players in this field. So anytime you have any infrastructure, it's not just going to happen now. We are going from a world that it was globalized to deglobalization and onshoring. And more and more of that is going to come on. So you're seeing that with more factories coming on, more people producing closer to the source. And I think that's why these stocks are reflecting it. Joe, you got a lot of exposure here, too. Vulcan, FMC Corp, and Nucor all in the Joe T ETF. Yeah, there's eight names in the T ETF, but in the most recent quarter, we were actually reducing exposure to materials. Freeport MacMoran, one of the names that we sold. As far as the call, I disagree on uh, Vulcan. It just reached an all-time high at the end of June. The momentum is well entrenched, as well as strong fundamental contributions, in particular from the infrastructure. Overall, for the sector of materials, though, materials peaked in February. And whether it's Freeport, McMoran, Mosaic, or CF Industries, it's not getting the positive benefit from China reopening. China is having a very muted reopening. It's one of the reasons why crude oil is underperforming and energy equities are underperforming the market year to date, despite seeing a reduction in OPEC supplies. We're not getting the economic contribution globally that we thought we would get from the Chinese reopening, and it's clearly impacting the material sector. Josh, any quick thoughts about materials? Look, it's a tough space because you're relying on global GDP growth, um, and you know the, you, I don't know that you're not going to get that this year, um, but I also don't know how much you would actually need in order for these stocks to catch a sustainable bid. So uh, I'm not really here. I have a little bit of energy exposure. I don't really have any materials exposure. I know on our show, it's re- that's really a Labenthal uh, area this year. 
Uh, he's big in those names. I'm just kind of watching from the sidelines. All right, materials down a percent and a half right now. Coming up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. More halftime after this break. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now with his midday word. Uh, Mike, seems like this morning might be right in itself with the sell-off. A little bit. I mean, markets have been noticing the uh, the inching higher in yields over the recent days, and then you got this very sharp reset higher in yields to those, let's say, four-month highs. And stocks definitely took a step back. But I do think it's interesting that uh, in midday, mid-session, you did see moderation in both. You know, yields kind of came in. Uh, we got a bid in stocks. Part of that, I think, is we didn't get some kind of ugly upside surprise to inflation. That's not why yields are flying. You do have a sturdier economy. The price is paid in the ISM services on the downside. And probably nobody wants to lean too hard in any particular direction before the official jobs number tomorrow. So we sit here. You've swept away all of about two and a half trading sessions worth of gains. You're trading 4,400 on the S&P back to where we were last Thursday, roughly. So it's not as if it's really inflicted that much pain, but it does have us on alert for we've come a long way. June rally was pretty strong. Investor sentiment definitely brightened and you got fewer people who were fighting the, the rally. So some kind of a, of a reset here makes a little bit of sense, a little bit of, a, of an air pocket of volatility. So basically lost these couple days of trading so far this year. So we're kind of starting the month, second yeah. half. I mean, sorry, this month, excuse me, kind of starting the second half today. Almost. You've kind of gone back to even. It felt like a bit of an overshoot, especially that June 30 and into this week. But we'll see. Uh, I mean, tomorrow's number is going to matter quite a bit. And I do think from here, the Fed's data dependent, the market's in a more equal footing. You're going to have to watch every number. All right, Mike Santoli, we appreciate your midday work. You're also on threads. We're going to have to get your, your threading, <laughs> a.k.a. at some Just point. Just in the incubation stage. <laughs> Final trade's coming up on halftime. Stay with us. Welcome back to Halftime Town now for final trades. Amy, you're up first. Okay, so we like Vertex Pharmaceuticals. The stock has done relatively well this year, um, trading in line with the market and at a market PE, but we think they have a lot of shots on goals and new diseases that they can, um, they have in innovative solutions for. Surat. Uh, Delta Airlines, the word capital allocation. Um, they're, they're really doing well. They're executing well. Cash flow is positive. They're paying down their debt uh, and they're raising prices. All right, Josh, a.k.a. Thready Yardeni. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a.k.a. Thread Lasso. Staying long, <laughs> J.P. Morgan. I think 145 and above is a breakout level. Joe? I love Amy's call on Vertex Pharmaceuticals. We own it as well. Another healthcare name, Cooper Companies. Put it on your radar. This is a quality company. Healthcare supplies, they make contact lenses. And, Frank, I'm very upset. Josh does not follow me on threads. This is unacceptable. <laughs> this is important information, guys. That's going to do it for halftime. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. Remember the Thai cave rescue? 
What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that the U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut. If you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more.